0: Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. For this show, I'm joined by Tom King, author of the new pamphlet, The Generous Society, which sets out a vision for liberalism in the 21st century. So welcome to the show, Tom. Hi, Mark. Good to be with you. Uh, Now, you and I know each other reasonably well, but... To listeners, you may be a completely new person. They may even be wondering, "This former Tory minister—is this think <laughs> So, do you want to briefly introduce who you are and, and your background before we get into the much more important topic of what you've written about?
1: Happily, I was not Thatcher's defence secretary. Uh, I'm a Londoner by background, um, long-term Liberal and Liberal Democrat began my career uh, in, in politics actually working for Lib Dem MPs uh, in Cambridge where I worked with Julian Huppert and before that David Howarth, both of whom, both of whom are kind of quite towering intellectual forces mm-hmm. with the yeah. Democrats uh, and had a big effect okay. on me. Um, but before that had already been quite involved um, in certainly in liberal thinking um, and, and you know, Iraq was a big part of that but but I think beyond that, I've always had an interest in society, liberal politics, how we how we describe and how we get to a better sense of uh, what liberalism means for the whole of society and the whole of a country and and the world, rather than just necessarily at the individual level. Yeah. Um, and in terms of what I do now, I, I, my day job is to work in political risk. Um, which is an interesting area to be involved in uh, pretty much all the time, but certainly around Brexit and, and the US election. Uh, to name just two recent events, there's been a lot of volatility. Um, and so uh, the relationship between politics and policy and how that affects uh, the economy is also an area of interest for me. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and, you've,
0: and you've written this pamphlet called The Generous Society. Uh, and I, I mean, I think it's got... Quite a positive reaction. In fact, that's maybe even underplaying it. In some cases, almost one might more say an ecstatic reaction uh, from many people who have read it uh, so far. And I'll include a link to the full pamphlet in the show notes, so people can give it a read and themselves. And I think what has really struck a chord for people is this sense of. This is what liberalism is about in the twenty first century, um, mm-hmm. and we're recording this a few days after the U.S. presidential election. So we might digress a little bit into the impact of that on on the outlook for liberalism. But what what made you write it? What was your sort of motivation? You presumably felt there was a gap; there was something that needed needed your words to answer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know it's it's been a long time in the sort of gestation, um, and I think it stems from a, a sort of pretty. A uh, pretty, pretty sort of cold-eyed view of you know where the Lib Dems are as a party, where the UK is as a country, um, and that's been a process that's that spans back to two thousand and ten, really, or even before that. Um, so I, I've mentioned several times in sort of talking to people about this this vision, this pamphlet, that while the Lib Dems have been successful in many ways in the last twenty years, in uh, perhaps Carving out a niche for themselves in opposing big, big problems with what the government is doing. Uh, so, Iraq and Brexit would be two of the classic examples mm-hmm. of that. They haven't been great, I think, at defining what their vision for society is. They haven't been great at putting together an overall set of uh, messages or, or or expressing their values in a way that that really is compelling. Um, that really tells people what the difference is between what we might offer and what Labour might offer, for example, what the Tories even might offer. And there's often a lot of overlap between what parties say they want to do for the world. Um, and I think, you know, that came to a head around sort of the end of uh, last year when the election happened. Um, it wasn't great for the Lib Dems. Obviously, it was a demoralising defeat for left liberals and liberals in general. Um and I suppose I got talking to several people in the party, um, including some of those I've already named and yourself, mm. um, about what we might do and what we what we might need to do to sort of consider strategy and vision better. Um, and then the pandemic happened, and I think that that also has driven a lot of thought about i mean it's created an environment where we can't go back to where we were before. Mm. it's It's thrown up a lot of bigger, questions about how we want to structure things what we want public services to look like how we create resilience and how we how we look after people uh, particularly uh, those in poverty but really i mean what it's done is is give the lie to the idea that um you know we get what we deserve um and that that our our lives are secure because we make them so um lots of people are now in very big difficulty you know in their personal lives and paying rent or or keeping their job or, or trying to find a new job. Um, and that's not to do not to do at all with them or even government decisions. It's to do with a disease. Um, and that that just has raised a lot of issues around how we might want to do things better in the future. Yeah.
0: And, and I'll come <laughs> on in a moment to a little bit more about exactly what you say in the pamphlet. But one thing that I think really struck me about it and – is the value of having something that's written by one person. Um, mm. Because if you say, you know, you say it rightly, the, the Lib Dems haven't been very good at expressing that sense of our vision for the future. And I think one of the reasons, maybe even the primary reason, is that our attempts to do that are normally written by committee. Mm. In that the attempts to do that are either things like through a general election manifesto, and a manifesto forward. And although the forward might be penned by one person, it has to go through multiple groups of people. So it's very hard to have a a clear, coherent sort of argument because everyone wants to add on their extra bit. And, you know, I've often been one of those people wanting to add on my bit, you know, but that's just the dynamic of the process. Um, And also the other problem with something like a manifesto is it's a collection of policies Yes. And if you think about some of the most influential political books, maybe John Stuart Mill's On Liberty or Hayek's Road to Serfdom, I mean, they've got a bit of policy in them and you can certainly use them to guide policy, but they're not policy prospectuses. Um, and in yeah. fact, perhaps one of the reasons they have both aged so well in that some of their individual examples feel quite dated Uh And, yeah, John Stuart Mill talking about people going to the theatre. I mean, that feels very dated at the moment. But, you know, although some of their individual examples feel quite dated, because they're not rooted in policy, they have been able to age much better than... And yet, you know, so our Lib Dem answer normally to how do we set out a vision is a committee and policies, whilst your, your take has very much been one solo author and essentially no policies... I mean, I think yeah. there's, you know, it's not like you ignore policies, it but it's not it wouldn't work as a manifesto, would it, the pamphlet, as an election manifesto.
1: Yeah, no, exactly right. And I, I think I think I agree with all of that. And I think, you know, the, the dynamics of writing a committee are, are well known. I think the other thing is that when you're writing a manifesto or any kind of policy document like that, a policy paper, you're inevitably writing to a particular timeline. Mm. Um, And one of the things that I was thinking about as we came, we sort of discussed how to do this, and I I was thinking through what it might look like, was how do you write this in a way that's relevant to the now, uh, relevant to the present situation? Obviously, the pandemic created a big kind of obvious hook to to Mm. base that on. But also, how do you think about a period that's longer than the the next parliament? Mm. So this is intended to stand as a a statement of principles and values that exists outside of the political cycle. And I think that's really important because the Lib Dems are very good at generating policy ideas. We saw that during the leadership campaign, again, with Build Back Better and other other ideas that both of the candidates came out with. Um, I don't think we've ever really struggled as a party for, you know, whether it's local parties or individual members proposing quite big ideas um what we do struggle with is having a coherent overall vision into which you can slot some of those ideas um, and i think you know what i was trying to do was just come up with a framework um, and a set of vi- a restatement of the timeless values that we all have which allows for that process to happen um, so i think it it, it certainly it was a lot easier for me as well as the the author not to have to sort of um, expect someone else to fill in a different section or or try and try and make different
0: parts of it add up to something that that was coherent. And also just being able to say no to suggestions. I remember (laughs) there was there was one bit of feedback I gave on one of the drafts where you basically, it was a polite, you know, form of no, but it was (laughs) it was essentially no, I want this bit of to be about this thing not about the other thing which which absolutely is, you know that's all all about what good writing involves Uh, is and although you know non-fiction is different from fiction but in a way a good piece of non-fiction is quite similar in the sense that you have to have a clear sort of plot and direction through the words Um, yes if 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 you're doing a paper that a committee and then maybe even a conference has to vote for it's really hard to stick on that road because you've got all of these people it's I guess it's like a it's like a it's like a parent going out with with a a batch of young children all of whom are then wanting to pull in different direct you know and how on earth did you just keep the, <laughs> but as the solo author you you had the freedom to, to do what you wanted
1: yeah and obviously I would have made decisions that that sort of people will disagree with or agree with. And, and I think one of the things to point out is, this doesn't necessarily reflect what I think the most important policy issues are. Mm. Um, so one of the criticisms that I've had, I think justifiably is that there's very light touch uh, treatment of the environment and climate change, which of course, everyone I would hope in the Lib Dems and the liberal movement would agree would be top priority uh, in policy terms over the next five, 10, 15 years. Um, however, because we were writing, I was writing in a way that was committed to placing uh, liberal values into various different realms, but coming back to the individual, the individual human, um, it was it was not a priority in the sense of how the, the, the writing flow worked. So that doesn't mean that I don't value it, and it doesn't mean we won't write more about it, um, and it certainly doesn't mean that the vision doesn't fit with making climate change a top priority
0: yeah and I I guess the the way I think about it is that I was a liberal before we became aware of the problem of climate change Mm. and even if we conquer the problem of climate change I presume I will still be a liberal after it and therefore as you say although environmental challenges like that are massively important they also are not for many people at least, they're not at the heart of why they're a liberal, because they'd be a liberal even without any of that. Obviously, there are some people for whom you know that issue is the way into liberalism, but it's clearly yeah. possible to to be a liberal without those issues. Now, we've talked a lot about, as it were, the the sort of the process and the structure and all of that without really talking about the actual substance. So do you <laughs> want to give us sort of your quick top-line summary of of what the pamphlet says?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the big thing that i was trying to do in in drafting this and coming up with ideas for how to do this was to find a fresh way of communicating values that are very old um uh and and timeless in fact and so uh i got to thinking and we, we you and i and others have had many discussions around how to how to find a compelling way to talk about liberty freedom uh, what we might call the pursuit of happiness, those kinds of things, and individual sovereignty, all of these big kind of touchstone liberal issues, but in a way that's fresh, uh, in a way that perhaps stands outside the typical political vernacular, mm. uh, typical language that we might use and that other parties also adopt. Um, and I came back to this word generosity, which obviously is is kind of a definition of liberty or liberalism in itself, but also is is a great concept because it it's directional. So generosity can be uh, distributed in different ways from one party to another, from one person to another, um, and that enables us to get into the the relationships that we have as individuals to each other, to the state, to society, um, and it's and it's multi directional. So it can go in both directions. So. That was really the kind of kernel of of insight that led to the way I structured it. And then it was a question of making the introduction fresh by and and current by talking about the the lockdown, the pandemic. And really what that says about, you know, a society that's been willing and perhaps is becoming less willing to to give up some of its freedom, uh, quite a lot of its freedom Mm -hmm. um, to deal with a a real crisis, um, which is a very liberal response. Uh, to 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 be willing to give up those freedoms in the short term for long term freedom. Uh, now, obviously, the government has <laughs> has got, has run into trouble with that, and 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 it is losing to an extent the, the British population's uh, trust, um, and that has made it made it very difficult. But nonetheless, I just found it quite inspiring actually to see how committed people were to the public health of each other, to the mm. economy, to the society. Um, so that seemed like a natural entry point. Um and then I wanted to loop it back in the second half to this idea of you know to, to the ideas that Lib Dems have stood for. Um so the second half is very much based on the kind of classic constitution uh statement about freedom from uh poverty, inequality, nonconformity, those those issues. And so we wrapped uh 10 freedoms up in those. Uh, in those three mm. headings. Um and I think within that there's a lot of actually quite radical uh potential for policy. Um but because it wasn't a policy document, we didn't go to that. Uh, <laughs> um
0: and I think the that concept of generosity I think has an interesting parallel with Joe Biden's approach to the US presidential election this mm. year. Uh, At the time we record, he hasn't yet been declared uh, the (laughs) next president, but it looks like he will be the next president. And it even looks like he may get the same number of electoral votes as Donald Trump got in 2016. So although it's felt quite a bumpy and nerve wracking road uh, to get here this week, actually, when all the dust is settled and and the numbers can be put in historic context, it may well be you know a pretty decent win not a landslide yeah. but not a not actually the really close nail biter that it has maybe felt at times uh, yeah. this week and and Biden's approach very much seems to be to view your opponents as people that in part at least you can reach out to and yeah. you know it's not just that he's not used language like the basket of deplorables uh you know notorious phraseology from the 2016 election Is that will be really at odds? Yeah, that will be really at odds with his approach to politics. And he's obviously come under fire from some in the Democrats, you know, the sort of more Bernie Sanders type wing who have felt that he's almost being too nice to Republicans. Um, And I guess the election result will probably end up at roughly a point which will. Give both sides of that debate, you know, ammunition. You know that they'll it's be already you know, started. He should so. have won by more. Or another saying, no, <laughs> but look, he ousted an incumbent Republican at a time at which the economy was growing. That's a phenomenally rare achievement. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, that debate will happen. Um, but do you see much? much parallel in that sense between generosity and i guess moderation because because the the word people probably would most use about biden is is well decency actually he just so many people have stories about you know having say lost a loved one and Mm. how but you know and how biden just was amazing in what he said and did you know he's got that real human touch uh, but the other thing is he, he's a moderate in that sense you know that that's that's his bit so do you feel that sort of moderation and generosity are similar or is there an important difference is is generosity slightly sort of code for middle of the road um
1: i wouldn't say it's code for that at all and i would say actually it's it's if you, if you read the the pamphlet carefully, it leaves a lot of room for quite radical stuff, mm. and I, I think there's a there's a conversation to be had really about the effectiveness of moderation as a presentational device, mm. rather than as uh, necessarily a policy device. Mm. So I, I think Biden, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to read across to UK politics mm. for obvious reasons. Um, it's a two party system in a much more Concrete way than the UK, Um, it's (laughs) his opponent was uh, even by you know historical standards an unusual US Mm. president, and uh, you know in many ways this was a referendum on democracy itself. Uh, So I think in many ways there's as many lessons to learn for for Keir Starmer as there are for the Dems from from what Biden's done, perhaps, and and it will be interesting to see what the debate is in the Labour Party Mm. about. What the Democrats have done, but I think to come back to this idea of policy versus politics, it's it's been fascinating because Joe Biden's platform is actually quite uh, it's less moderate than mm. than it would appear from what he has done and said publicly. Um, it's certainly to the left of where Barack Obama was. Mm. It certainly had the influence of the kind of Sanders species of Democrat. Um, you know, he's he's actually done quite well in reaching out. Across to that side of things. Um, some people would disagree, but I think it's a reflection of the strength of that wing of the Democrat Party. Um, so, you know, big commitments on climate change, Green New deals stuff. Um, quite a lot of commitments to other other priorities there. Um, they moved quite a long way on criminal justice and and police reform. Um and I think what that tells us is really that there's a diff there's it's easier to open space for more radical policy when you are espousing a generosity of spirit. Mm. um, When you have generally a a positive view about what politics is for. um, When even in the midst of a pandemic, which, you know, Biden's message was pretty grave and sober, you nonetheless Mm. encourage people to reach for a, a view of society and the nation that is positive and hopeful. Mm. Um and obviously he's the change you know he's the challenger candidate so that that's the natural line to take but I think he's he's trod that line extremely cleverly um as a candidate.
0: I mean that reminds uh, me of the yes prime minister episode about I think about party political broadcast. Yes. Where the exactly. running joke is you know is what what's hacker going to say if he's going to give a radical speech in the party political broadcast he needs to sort of you know dress Sort of, uh sort of conservatively and reassuringly, and there's discussion about the music, and I think the piece of yes, art appear on dark, the dark, dark wood furniture and exactly. bath playing in the background. Yes, yeah. yeah. and yeah. but however, if he's going to make a, if he's going to make <laughs> actually a very moderate speech that's not radical, then actually it needs the jazzy music, the modern art, yeah. and you know how. Uh, but I think there is something, yeah, about making radical change feel less threatening. Yes, um, as opposed to really doubling down on how uh how sort of you present it as being radical and different and current things are awful etc and in a sense you need you need both you need to motivate people mm. by the sense of yes things can be an awful lot better than they are but there's also a risk in terms of how some things are presented that they can be uh they can be you know seen as scary and that puts off puts off people right. and 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 i i guess the implication from you know that comes through quite clearly from your pamphlet isn't it is that generosity is a way of of giving radical policy positions a a sort of a label or a set of clothes that can help appeal to non-radicals
1: yeah absolutely and it's also a set of clothes that hasn't been worn before mm. uh, i mean it's 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 very traditional in the uk to sort of go down the either the sort of economic competence route or the you know Social security room. Let's let's be simplistic about it. You're you're either sort of dry and you know keen to make sure that the economy grows and you know that government spending is limited, or you're sort of wet in the economic parlance and you know you want to expand social security and and increase the safety net. Um, Now, both of those outcomes are perfectly good, actually, Um, perfectly reasonable things to hope for and and try to achieve. Um, But it's a very crowded market um all the parties tend to tend to claim that they can achieve both of those things at once um we saw in december 19 uh, 2019 that you know we had two parties that went somewhat outside of that um but the conservatives arguably played this game better in that they they had a very restricted manifesto they had a very clear simple message which mm-hmm. was a party. uh but nonetheless um it was interesting because get Brexit done. It sounds quite dynamic, but actually I think a lot of people heard it as, you know, stop talking about this, please, mm. which I think Biden has also benefited from the idea that politics is not part of your daily life and, and stress. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, given all of that, um, the idea of generosity is mm. uh, it's one that, you know, as far as I can see, it's an open gap. Um, which you can then frame things in um, in a way that that is helpful and, and and probably not as um, yeah scary as as other things might be.
0: Yeah, and I I think the thing that strikes me about generosity as a sort of a concept is not only does it does it fit well with that sort of John Stuart Mill type liberal ethos, but it also it also works well for talking with people who are coming at things from a different political position. You know, if you partly view a political message as being about something that you can use to persuade other people to agree with you, you it's so much more helpful if you can start with some common ground. Yes. And 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 it feels like generosity gives uh, a sense of common ground. You know, there are, you know, even in the sort of the most... Banal,ly literal sense of meaning of the word generosity. There are people from all sorts of political perspectives who give money to charity. Yeah, you know, there is. There is. You can find some some starting point, and I think that's an often neglected attribute of of successful political messaging is the extent to which it helps open up a conversation with somebody yeah. who might disagree with you.
1: Yeah, and I think we even men- I, I even mentioned that in the pamphlet itself about you know the, the prospect of. Mm-hmm. Creating uh, a society in which people have the decision to make for themselves as to whether, in addition to supporting society through taxes, Mm. uh, they can give more to charity and they can choose more philanthropic activities, Mm. uh, both both in terms of their finances but also in terms of their time, Mm. um, which is something obviously David Cameron talked about a lot when he was Prime Minister, Um, and I don't think we should necessarily reject that as a as a as a potential outcome of people having better lives, better better. Resources and and more time. Um, Yeah,
0: I I think it's a it's a shame that the big society concept was so sort of mangled. Yes, and and (laughs) hence discredited. in In that there are elements, there are elements there where you can see packaged in a different way, certainly to say liberal Democrat eyes. You can see elements in that where it could have been something that would have been hugely relevant to this year. For example. Yeah. And unfortunately, the way that it the direction that the Tories, well, actually the Tories in general probably didn't take to big society, the way in which Cameron and some of his allies sort of developed that concept and the direction they took it in and the mess that, that was then made of it, you know, risks discrediting elements that actually there's still a lot of value to yeah. be had in in a way that, you know, we've seen, you know, we've seen this year that yeah. the amount of effort that people have put in voluntarily to helping their not only their neighbours, but also complete strangers who live near them, is yes. sort of at the heart of the idea that it's not just about the individual or the state, but there is a, there is something very real about a community.
1: Yeah, and it's organic. I mean, uh, the, uh, the food banks example is probably the best one, mm-hmm. that, you know, this is huge network of, of food banks that are voluntary, that are self-funded, you know, that have played a huge part in protecting people, not just during the pandemic, but well before it. Um, obviously you have the Marcus Rashford kind of campaign around free school meals as well. And that that just shows you the vacuous kind of nature of, of what the conservatives have not done um on, on sort of food security and those kinds of issues. Um and that's a real shame because actually, you know, food banks shouldn't be necessary mm-hmm. in a country where you know we're wealthy and you know collectively wealthy and, and the government exists. Um but it says something about the appetite, <laughs> not no pun intended, of the British people and society to do something generous and radical for each other. Mm. Um, so I think it's there. And the, the problem with the big society is that it didn't actually allow for the role of government in expanding that and achieving it and, and encouraging it.
0: Yeah, and, and I, <laughs> I guess part of the problem in practice with the big society was how it, and it was... Because of the time it was seen as a sort of cheap alternative to state provision, yes, whilst exactly. what we've been talking about this year has been where there are clearly things required that are above and beyond what the state is currently doing. Um, and so I, I, I guess that backdrop just makes it a, a slightly easier backdrop to work against. Um, but it is striking with the free school meals sort of issue i mean a just how impressive marcus rashford is as a human being <laughs> you know he's a i don't particularly follow his sport but he's amazingly talented at his sport and he's had much more of an impact on public policy than men you know loads of people who spend all of their lives working on public policy. Yeah. really impressive person but also he's managed to tap into that sense of um what people feel is reasonable and fair in yes. that there are lots of other ways of suggesting the government should give a free handout to a whole load of people which would not chime in anything like the same way i think the uh and it's partly obviously because of his own personal you know story that this you know that gives it a degree of credibility but also i think there is whether it's been consciously or subconsciously on his part a, some real political smarts about mm. a particular angle that he's taken if you think of all the different issues around child poverty all yeah different angles to that which he could no doubt talk really passionately about this one is is one that has so much political traction
1: yes and i think you're right to, to raise fairness as the as the operative mm. word there i think people just intuitively get against a backdrop where government is spending a lot of money on other things. Mm. Sometimes well, sometimes very badly. You know, the sums involved in what he's asking for are yeah. so small
0: uh, that the 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 argument is so easy to grasp. Um, and you yeah. know, the government with eat in eat out to help out, the government yeah. was willing to subsidise me going to a local cafe to eat a piece of chocolate cake. You sort yeah. of think, well, that's come on, priorities. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's that's that shouldn't be top of your list of priorities and, and it is actually I think one of the unfortunate things about the state of British politics overall in that respect is how much politicians essentially are falling over backwards to give handouts to people like me mm-hmm. and you know you sort of think you know I am um, I think I don't think I've ever had to worry about how I would afford my next Meal and that is a phenomenally yep. lucky position to be in. Indeed, but there are yeah. loads of people who are not in that position, and and government shouldn't be falling over to prioritise giving some money to people like me in that world. Yeah, and I exactly think the right. concept, though, gives a really good way of talking about that in a way that I think labour quite often make that issue sound like one of almost envy and division and dislike. Uh, but generosity gives. Uh, a much you know just a much nicer way of talking about it but also yeah. one that therefore can reach more broadly yeah i mean that's
1: for us i mean i'm in the same position as you i, I don't think i've ever had to really worry about it um and for us that means we have so much more freedom mm. because we have the that's a very positive freedom because we don't have to think about it that that means our mm. minds are clear of it in a way that for thousands perhaps millions of people um you know, they are worrying about it, they are expending energy on it, even when they're trying to do something else to earn the money to buy the food, their mind is, is yeah. working all the time, that's, that's a, a lack of freedom that's very hard to quantify, but very real. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the stuff in, in, in the pamphlet around freedom from poverty, mm. talks about basic needs, basic mm. rights, um, this idea, and, and, and this gets perhaps into universal basic income mm. and, and ideas like that, that you know, the object, the objective there is to take away that pressure. And that pressure is is a crushing kind of pressure. It crushes it, it not only our our ability to think clearly, but also our prospects for the future in a way that's very, very damaging. And that's a generous society wouldn't allow that to happen. Yeah.
0: And I, I, there was an an incident a few years ago, which really brought that home to me where unfortunately a former colleague of mine, sort of died quite suddenly. Um, uh-huh. And so I needed to get to the other end of the country at short notice, the funeral. And I remember thinking how lucky I was that looking at the ticket price on screen, it was, uh, oh, it's that much, uh-huh. as opposed to, oh my goodness, how on earth am I going to get to the funeral or yeah. all the effort that would then have to go into thinking about some complicated series of, you know, long, long coach journeys or mixing lifts with, free, you know, just all of the stress and hassle that would have been added on top. Yeah. Um, and that was just, you know, one tiny one-off incident in a, in a sense, as opposed to, as you say, that sort of day by day, week by week, yeah. uh, you know, almost grinding pressure it can be for some people at times. And there's there's some yeah. very moving writing, you know, from people about just how wearying just attrition. tiring. It yeah. is. it's, it's a war of attrition yeah
1: that you can't escape from and I, I think one of the things i've said a few times sort of talking to people about this vision is is the idea of breathing mm. um and I, if i if i could write write it again i would probably put more about this in in the in the text this idea of breathing has been so central to 2020 um you know even if it's just wearing a mask you know some people find that difficult but obviously we've been Cooped up in our own homes in a way that we never have before. Um, that, for some people, is extremely stressful, extremely pressurizing. We're both probably lucky and, and mm-hmm. can, you know, can move around the house mm-hmm. and you know find different places to work, even in the same room. Whereas for some people, they might not even have a room to mm-hmm. work in that's not their bedroom. Um, so that that kind of sense of the walls closing in and 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 that attritional, stressful feeling is very real and then you have other types of breathing obviously which are you know environment connected the air pollution and those kinds of issues um you've got you know criminal justice and racial inequality in america with people literally being choked uh and 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 murdered by by law enforcement so lots of different ways in which a society that's geared towards punishment that's geared towards uh control Uh, that's not liberal Mm. ultimately and and not geared towards individual freedom and choice um, prevents us from breathing, from having the room to breathe. And I think, you know, that's part, that's sort of implicitly in the idea of generosity as well, that um, we should all be looking to give each other and ourselves more room to breathe.
0: Yeah. That is an excellent (laughs) note on which to sort of wrap things up. So just before uh, bringing this to an end, if people have found what was said interesting, Obviously, the first thing they should do is go and read your pamphlet, Generous Society. Yes. <laughs> Link will be in the show notes or just go to Google and Google for the phrase Generous Society. Um, what else would you recommend? What, what would be sort of top of your political reading list?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, uh, there's obviously so many different answers to it. Well, what, a couple of things that, that sort of were inspirational in, in putting this together. Obviously, it draws a lot on beverage and sort of beverage reports and, and things around that. Uh, there was a book called *The Unservile State* um, that that George Watson, I think, was the author um, that we discussed quite a bit. Um, more recently, this is very hard to find, and we never actually found the English version again. But there's a, a our, our sister party in Denmark, Radikala or Radikala, I never know which way to pronounce it, produced in 2005 a document called *That De- Creative Denmark* or *The Creative Denmark*, which was a 15-year vision for Denmark, and and I read that not too long after it was published and was very inspired by it i thought it was a beautiful uh, inspiring document which which led to very similar outcomes and then i think most recently the one that i've been reading and i haven't finished it but it's it's again if we want to get into the the depths and the weeds of how we think as a society then uh, michael Sandel's the tyranny of merit um which i'm sort of halfway through but i've heard him talk about a lot is fascinating because it's really challenging this whole idea of desserts and the idea that people get what they deserve and that there are winners and losers and that they should be that that should be accepted, that we should construct a policy framework around meritocracy at all. Um and he's asking really big questions there. And I think that's
0: that's a fascinating um read as well. Excellent. I will include links to some of those in the show notes, but possibly not the one that we've not been able to find a copy of in English. But if anyone listening is uh, an avid collector of, of Danish political publications and therefore has a copy of that please do get in touch um people can see find how wide your audience extends at yeah this point. absolutely <laughs> uh, so people can find the pamphlet uh, that we've talked about for free at generoussociety.com or the link in the show notes and people can find tom on twitter at the wonderful handle of at tall geeky chap myself at mark pack and this podcast at bar chart podcast um and if you like listening please do tell others about the podcast and give it a rating or review in your favorite or indeed your least favorite podcast app thank you till next time